My name is Keith Beavers, and I bought a jar of Jif creamy peanut butter in Manhattan the other day. It was $9. I bought it. I mean, I bought it. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to Five Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Fevers. I am the tastings director of Vine Pair. Vine Pair, Keith on Insta. And what is happening? Okay, like I promised, today we have an awesome interview. I'm not going to do a lot of talking. Brene is going to do most of the talking. And that's a good thing because there's a lot here. And I think you guys can take a lot from it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Jay Vineyards and Winery, makers of small batch, single varietal wines and acclaimed sparkling wine using the traditional method, meaning Jay makes sparkling wine by hand. Jay makes a portfolio of bubblies ranging from vibrant and crisp to creamy and graceful. And if you're not feeling bubbly, Jay Vineyards still wine is equally sublime. To fully experience Jay wine paired with curated cuisine, visit Jay Vineyards and Winery Tasting Room in Sonoma County. Okay, so her official title is Monte Rosso Winery Relations and Vineyard Ops Manager at E&J Gallo Winery. It's a very official term. It's very cool. But Brene Royal, um, there's something more about that title and what she does. The, Adam and I had a chance to hang out with Brene in the Monte Rosso vineyard. Um, it's a legacy vineyard in Sonoma. It's huge. And I don't want to give you all the details about it because she will do that in this vineyard tour for us. But what I want, the reason why I wanted to share this with you guys is just in talking to her, like I said in the last episode, just in talking to her, we get a sense of where we are in Sonoma and we get a sense of the past, the present and the future. And Brene, I believe, is part of the future of Sonoma. And what she's doing at Monte Rosa Vineyards is kind of, is, is, the, is the kind of, is the energy that I saw, or Adam and I saw when we were out there. This sort of, this new energy, this new generation of winemakers. And Brene's not a winemaker. Well, as she says, she's the winemaker before the winemaker, meaning she actually makes sure the grapes are ready for the winemakers. And oh, does she do this and do it well. The Monte Rosa Vineyard is one of our sort of crew vineyards in the United States. Yeah, I said it, C-R-U, crew, because it's real. And by the end of this vineyard tour slash interview, you're going to get the sense, you're going to get what I'm talking about, the present, the past, and the future, and how people like Brene are bringing wine, especially in Sonoma, into the future. So let me just stop talking here, and let's get into a little bit of background about Brene, how she got to this place, and the vineyard itself. Um, okay. Well. Yes, yeah, so I guess like you know, this vineyard is famous because of a lot of things. A lot of yeah. things. Um, like okay. you, like were you here? Like, I guess. <laughs> how long have you been managing this? Um, this is my eighth season as the vineyard manager, and I'm now the longest standing under Gallo's ownership. Um, you were here before Gallo took the, the property? No. Oh, okay. So I came in 2013 straight out of college. Um, was Did the internship. Um, 
across southern Russian rivers. So at the time, there were only six other uh, south Russian river properties and then Monterosso. So it made up about 1,800 acres. Did that for seven months and then a month and a half later came back as the viticulturalist in the same area. And Mm -hmm. then 11 months into that role, became the vineyard manager. And then last summer was promoted to winery relations and vineyard ops. So um, it's been a pretty fast progression. So it'll be nine years for me total with the company in June. Um, but this is my eighth season as the as the manager of this property. This is no. So what's the what's what is it about this vineyard that that is so special about? What, what is, what's the specialness? Specialness? That's the weirdest word. It's not even a word actually. It's unique. I was making up some words earlier. Yeah. Today. There you go. Um, <laughs> I mean. I would say look around. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, I mean, God, it's beautiful. Um, I mean, there's so many things that make this property special. Um, I have one member of my team who's been here for 41 years. Wow. Um, and then the other members of the core team have been here anywhere from now 26 to 31 years. So literally longer than I've been alive. Um, <laughs> and then my... Um, kind of outside crew team has been with the vineyard for five years so there's a ton of experience that is operating on the property we do everything by hand Um, so that's definitely led to the continued legacy of the vineyard and the longevity of the vines and then certainly my success is is owed a huge part to my team Um, so there's been a lot of learnings Um, I mean this vineyard was established by Emanuel Goldstein, who uh, was a grocer in San Francisco. Awesome. Um, was selling wine, wanted to start producing it. And uh, this is like early 1880s. And they actually believe there was gold out here, too. So there was quite a bit of incentive to yeah. come on out. He mm-hmm. roped in his business partner, Samuel Dreyfus, and they came out to Sonoma Valley I know you're familiar with this this region. Um, we do have some sister properties that are within a couple years of Monterosso. So Bedrock is a vineyard we can look down directly into today when we get out in front of the Semion. But there's also Pagani Ranch, which is a couple years younger. And then there's also Old Hill, which is actually like three or four years older than Monterosso. But they're all on the valley floor, whereas Emmanuel Goldstein... His belief was the best vines are usually on more stressed sites. So you pick that up with elevation. Mm-hmm. Came up here, developed about 75 acres, and started putting first vines in the ground in 1886. So we had Zinfandel, Muscat, Burger, and Semion. Wow. Not too long awesome. after that, Phylloxera comes and wipes out most of California. Right. Um, however, working through an ampelography project in uh, 2019, we do have confirmed 136-year-old Semion vines. Uh, the other acreage was replanted in 1893. So that's why I'll call out our gnarly vines in as 129-year-old vines. Um, and then our Semyon at 136. Um, Emmanuel, oh, at the same time in 1886, they completed one of the first gravity-fed wineries, uh, the Mount Pisgah Winery. Oh, that's cool. Um, and that's still standing on site. So it's three stories Totally mm-hmm. gravity fed. There's a building below that we believe is a distillery because who wasn't making brandy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Vineyard's known as Goldstein Ranch. Samuel and his son are bought off. Um, so it's Goldstein Ranch. Emmanuel himself passes away in 1911, just before uh, the start of Prohibition. So it's the second and third generation that's farming the vineyard. But I'd say, quote, farm the vineyard because they weren't really as driven uh, on the farming side as their their grandfather was. Mm. Um, 
but they were making a lot of money off the vineyard because um, even back then the fruit was highly regarded regarded and sought after and as you know through prohibition you couldn't sell finished product but you could sell all the ingredients mm-hmm. so rumor has it they had everything you're not supposed to do with the raw materials because <laughs> you could make up to 50 gallons of wine at home so right, challenge right. accepted um, the family starts putting it out there that they want to put the vineyard up for sale and at the time, one of the buyers was Louis Martini, who established his winery in 1933. Didn't want to lose the fruit, so he picked up the vineyard in October of 1938 for a whopping $8 an acre. <laughs> and harvested by the next week. I believe he harvested on October 7th, which is a very common pick date for us. Um, so he harvested the fruit, brought it into his winery, and... Uh, renamed the vineyard to Monterosso, which means red earth. In 1940, he planted the first Cabernet Sauvignon vines out here, which we believe are the oldest in the state, coming in at 82 years old. We can deep dive on that mm-hmm. a little bit later. Um, but he grows the vineyard from, actually between he and his son, Louis P., they grow the vineyard up to present day planted 250 acres and the entire vineyard's 575 acres. Um, They went through about 20 years of a lot of white varieties, and then in the 80s picked back up replanting cab. So we still have a lot of dry farm cab uh, out here, especially on this side. That's some 45-year-old cab out there. Um, uh, So they they maintained that. Cab became king. Um, I'm sure Carolyn has showed you some of our library stuff, but the mountain. Tomorrow. The, oh, okay, so the mountain cab, those old labels, a lot of that is sourced from Monterosso, although the Martini family did own holdings in both Napa and Carneros. This was their site, their their yeah, main wondering. site. Yeah, like, they had a, because the Martinelli, I mean, not Martinelli, um, Martini had a Napa presence heavy, right? They, like, oh, like, yeah. Like in the development of the Napa AVA, they were kind of part of that whole thing as well. They were what I... One of the first five right, wineries the first established. Five, right. The one that yeah. Mondavi was like, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and he was part of it. And the Napa Valley Vintners Association was established here as well. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So their first meeting was just in the Arbor area there. No way. That's cool. Oh, that's Sonoma? big. That's yeah. Crazy. Well, and because um, Ernest and Julio um, established Gallo just a couple months after Martini, mm-hmm. and there were talks of both of them trying to petition to move the Napa County line to involve to include Monterosso because we're technically only three miles away. I love this oh, yeah. history. That's amazing. Um, so Louis M passes away by this time. Mike Martini is on, and. He is really starting to build the legacy of Vineyard Designate. Martini was one of the first to do it, um, especially with the recognition of having Monterosso. Um, it was under Mike Martini's leadership that we started selling fruit, or I should mm. say they started selling fruit. So in 1993, the first person to buy fruit from Mono- or Martini was Joel Peterson of Ravenswood. Oh. And then not too long after was Bob Bialy, who to this day still buys fruit. He's the longest standing um, fruit purchaser hmm. um, for 26 years now. Interesting. And then think of all the old guard Zinn producers. You had Kent Rosenblum. Um, Sabraja is back out here for did, Cab. Did Joel Gott ever bring a here? I work with Joel Gott now. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and oh, then. And we met Peter. Who did we meet at Kokomo? Kokomo, Eric, uh, and Randy. Eric, yeah. And Randy, Randy mm-hmm. Peters. Randy. Yep, I work with them. Fine. 
Um, cool. So, yeah. And then as Mike and Carolyn want to take a step back from the business, they're selling off a lot of their vineyards out in Carneros and Napa and in July of 2002 for what I assume was a lot more than $8 an acre. <laughs> they sell to the Gallo family who had built a, a big relationship with them. So... Uh, we are present day owners. We've maintained the planted acreage. Um, however, we, we've consolidated, um, the number of varieties out here. We have in our affidavit, the affidavit that there are 23. However, if you walk any of these old vine blogs, you'll find a lot of stuff that isn't recorded. That's cool. Um, but about half the vineyard is planted to Cabernet Sauvignon. Distant mm. second now is Zinfandel. But then we have our lone block of Sangiovese up there. That's the farthest along. The one Wait, that's... All that green. Oh, that is, that's Sangiovese. Oh, interesting. Um, then I've got a little bit of Malbec here. A little bit of Grenache behind us. I've got some Petite Syrah, Cap Franc, Petite Bordeaux Syrah, and Semillon. So that makes up 10 of my kids. Um, <laughs> when awesome. I started, we had 64 blocks. And... And I've since consolidated down to 54 blocks. However, there are a number of sub-blocks in there that I have officially lost count of because getting up to 34 buyers last year had us farming in 105 different ways out here. That's so That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, I'm up to 45 this year. So it's like I just hate, <laughs> hate yeah. having any kind of organization. But it, it works out because everything is pretty tedious and we run a pretty tight operation out here. And it's really fun to see all of the different wine styles. We actually... A week ago, had a chance to taste through 55 new wines wow. from Monteroso, and I can't wait to announce those. Um, but I'm already starting to to let some of them go on uh, my Instagram. I'll just kind of run through and start mm-hmm. announcing all of them as they get closer to release. Okay, I don't want to interrupt too much, but you see where we're going with? You see, see how it's moving here? The past, the present, and we're going to the future. It's kind of where we're heading in this Vineyard Tour interview anyway, so... Before we get to all that, let's talk a little bit about harvest and climate. And that San Pablo Bay we talked about a lot in the Sonoma and Napa episode. I mean, all these things just make Monoroso just awesome. We've got a huge influence from the San Pablo Bay. So the acidity that we'll taste in the wines today are rounded off by that coastal influence. Like, I mean, this place gets pretty freaking hot, but you'll see, like, there's always kind of this circulation of air and then just our management of the vines and how we've gotten smarter with setting up our trellis systems and our irrigation sets. Like, we really do manage to what the vineyard can do. We have ranges and soil depths of, like, 13 to 15 inches down to 30 feet. So, like... Mm -hmm. As we've replanted blocks, oh, my poor girl is probably hot back there. Yeah. Oh, a little one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, doing it all by hand makes it pretty So do you farm the entire thing by hand? Yeah. Wow. We'll utilize a helicopter when we can't get into some of the blocks uh, with tractors anymore because the spacing gets too tight. Um, we harvest 100% at night because it can still be about 85 degrees at midnight. And we have a ginormous uh, rattlesnake population, oh, wow. among other things. Um, oh, but uh, about 65% of the fruit goes to Napa. So logistically, um, starting around anywhere from 10 to midnight and then ending around 6 a.m. makes the fruit get over to the to the Napa side without running into too much traffic and it gets the fruit there cooler uh, to the wineries. Right now we're preparing to start our fungicide passes. 
Okay, so we didn't see any rattlesnakes, which is really, really awesome. Oh, and by the way, Brene's dog, who we talk to sometimes in this little this vineyard tour, is her, her name's Violet May. She's seven years old. She's an amazing black lab. And um, her and Adam are just straight up buddies. Okay, so now we're going to go into how does Brene, what is it like to be a client of Monte Rosa? And what does she look for when she's choosing people to be part of this awesome vineyard? How do you decide who gets to buy fruit from this? I was vineyard? just going to ask that question. Did they fight it out? Uh, we're getting to that point. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, it's really like the who's who. Um, you know, 80% of our buyers have the Monterosso trademark on it. And mm-hmm. so I keep it pretty tight because I do believe in scarcity. But it really is the who's who. Who's going to amplify a martini? Because right. it really is a club. But whatever you're doing, I want it to reflect back on us because we have the largest lineup of vineyard designate. Mm-hmm. So if they like yours, I want you to be able to point to two or other three producers with Monterosso on the label so that eventually a consumer, regardless of producer, will be in a wine shop, see Monterosso Vineyard, and pick it up just because. Mm-hmm. So in an effort for brand equity, it's like, all right, who's going to really be a beneficial partner where it's mutual, mm-hmm. but also who's going to bring those people back to home base? Right. Um, so I'm not looking for identical wines, but I am looking for wines that are super unique and cool and made by either up-and-coming winemakers mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, established winemaker. Um, so who's making super cool wine? Because I know right. I'm limiting everybody to, like, 50 to 200 cases per variety that they're making. So I know you're going to sell out. I'm also mm-hmm. pushing price on everybody because we should be matching or exceeding what we're charging at Martini. So mm-hmm. it's I'm building a club of who's who. And eventually I'll turn it into a lottery. Right. And even in the market today with Napa, you should, I can't wait to talk about who's coming over with Napa because they're not just back blending. They want to put the name on it because they've seen what's been happening. That's awesome. So it's been this really cool trajectory of I've opened this really special vineyard up to people and I've been able to present it as a huge value add to Gallo. And they're like, yeah, run with it. And so Mm -hmm. I've ran Mm -hmm. and now it's like, Oh, snap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Monterosso is shared with so many people. It's, and yeah. now it's on those wineries to really express what this vineyard can do and sell it yeah, <laughs> to exactly. stay in the club. Style differentiation is what we're looking for. So that's not what's going to kick you out. Right. Is, this, is this wine, you know, following the trajectory of what the vineyard was doing Trying in that vintage? Get, right, right. Um, you know, that's an how far of an outlier are you to where maybe this isn't likable? And honestly, are you releasing a wine people are going to clamor for? Because right. the, the price is elevated. And I was able to free up so much fruit because... I'm in meetings that I really shouldn't be in, but I was able to learn if Monterosso fruit's not going into a $50 bottle or higher, we're losing money. So I built this plan and they were like, all right, go sell it. And now we have the likes of some very, very cool winemakers that are now going to be making fruit from Rosso. And even 21, we brought on a number of people. So 34 buyers in 21 is more than double than we've ever had before. And now that I'm at 45, it's kind of pushing the ante. So eventually I want to get to 50 and then it'll just be a lottery. So you were, when, when you were first starting out here, was it like that? No. Okay. Mm -mm. So you're, you basically said, I'm going to take, I'm going to bring this back to its original glory. And then I'm going to show people that this dog is adorable. 
And, um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to show people the potential here and then they're going to start clamoring for it. And then I'm going to manage it and make sure it goes into the right hands and the right people. I wish I was cool enough to say that, but that's not the case. Um, <laughs> In 2014, we started Mount Peak Winery. So mm-hmm. that was a, a, the original goal of 5,000 cases, three different SKUs, paying homage to the winery and the vineyard. Mm-hmm. And that was when we finally had a second brand uh, next to Martini that wanted to be elevated. The mm-hmm. price point was elevated and the quality <laughs> was elevated and who it was set up to compete against was elevated. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, oh, cool. Now we need to fine tune even more farming across the ranch. So we still had a lot going to the the bigger uh, okay. white label martini. But then we picked up Orange Swift in 2016. Mm-hmm. And if you know Dave's original story, he util- he was using Monterosa fruit in his original prisoner. Okay. So he we halted all sales because he wanted to come back out here and draw some lines in the sand with our other winemaking teams utilizing the fruit because he mm-hmm. loved it, even though he had a non-compete in Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. And so he was able to pick up a lot of cab for Mercury Head and Palermo and Papillon and then eight years in the desert comes out two years later Mm -hmm. and that's when uh, structurally internally we were able to be like all right this is what we need for our internal Gallo programs because uh, if it wasn't going to Orange Swift Martini and Mount Peak then we only had a little bit of tonnage left still getting shipped up to Dry Creek where our Sonoma Ranch winery is Mm. Um, so then in 2019, that's when my own notoriety started picking up. Chronicle article came out. Family flew out here. We do have a landing zone for helicopters. And they were like, <laughs> all right, do you want to become a winemaker? Like, what do we want to do? And I was like, no, because I'm already the winemaker before the winemaker. Right, and, right. <laughs> and, it like, yeah. and it was like, okay, like, crap, I know they're not going to move me now. So, right. like, professionally, all of our vineyard managers used to do rotations so that you, you grow professionally. Right. And at that point, I knew they weren't going to move me. And so I was like, okay, how do I start really expanding on my responsibilities? So I started slowly but surely taking over all of the grow relations aspect. And that's when I realized if it wasn't hitting that price point, we were losing money. So 2019, I think we brought on six people. 2020, we got to 17, doubled in 2021. Oh, that's quick. And yeah, it's been a fast and furious wow. ride because this has now become my domain so like if a winemaker isn't approaching me about making the fruit and i have my own you know kind of wish list of who i want to work with Mm -hmm. i'll go taste their portfolio and kind of see if it makes sense and then we'll have the conversation out here find some things they like and then uh we'll be at the current place that i'm in right now where i'll present back to our general manager to say hey these partnerships make the most sense here's the price point that I'm at, here's the contract duration, here's why I think they make sense, and then get approval from him, and I'll start rolling out contracts. And you did that 45 times? (sighs) Yeah. Wow. Okay, now here I might riff a little bit, but I was so enamored with what was going on there that I kind of had to throw down a little bit of an American legacy vibe, so uh, bear with me here. So, like, that's what's been really nice. We've been able to elevate the farming, but I've been able to raise the price every single time we do it. And then I've had the luxury of people finding a young black female vineyard manager on Monterosso (laughs) and really amplifying that. So it's just giving me all this leverage to be like, you need to come out here. So regardless of whoever I am, 
like we're my team is delivering on the fruit and yeah. there are some super cool wines coming out that's so, like, awesome it's so much be... fun i'm happy to share one of the sangioveses it's super oh, super delicious that's yeah because that's yeah. just i love I, sangiovese in california is such a legacy of like the history of this place like the you know, italian community out mm-hmm. here bringing sangiovese and just all the grapes that would just come out here and they just plant like it's just so cool to... it's the only it's the second standalone sangiovese from monoroso oh really so really? since 2008 yeah oh, that's cool. muscardini made one and this will be the second one that's wow, awesome. That's really yeah, cool. San Giovese, that's so, that's so cool. Shall we go to the top? Please. Yeah. Monterosso does sit in the bench of the Mayacamas Mountain Range and the sub-AVA Moon Mountain District. So mm. internally, we still utilize Sonoma Valley. However, we're starting to really um, uh, weigh the pros and cons of utilizing Moon Mountain District, Sonoma, California, because having that subset ava really does draw your eye to mountaintop vineyards yeah, <laughs> you don't hear fruit. sonoma valley and go huh. mountain fruit, right. right. so and it's such a unique uh ava so i mean there's only about 1500 acres here um we, we stand along the likes of lassiter cayman hamel reprie so some bigger names um and we're working towards how do you make it distinct and now that Monterosso's in the fold which is the largest vineyard mm-hmm. in the fold and probably the most well known now we're trying to really figure out okay how do you put this on the map like a, a Howl Mountain or right. Atlas Peak or things like that and I think the way we're going to try and do it is push every vineyard to go organic so mm-hmm. we're currently certified sustainable and I'm currently trying to work towards organic certification mm-hmm. but that's how we're really going to stand out because we already have the volcanic soils we already have the super unique wines that come from this region it's like but how do you elevate it outside of sonoma valley Mm -hmm. um so that's what we're currently working on but you'll see a lot of the buyers are starting to put moon mountain district on it very cool interesting very cool it's also a very cool name yeah, yeah moon, moon Mountain. Moon Mountain. Yeah, cool. you know, mountain fruit, and it's a cool name. Out here in space. Yeah, yeah cool. I can dig it. I can dig it. I mean, you know me, wine lovers. I geek out on this American wine history stuff, and the whole Sangiovese thing with Italian immigrants coming out. It was just, it was awesome. Also, Moon Mountain. Keep that in your mind. And there's a lot more of this interview that I could not put into this episode. I, I'm giving you sort of the greatest hits. The, the When we finished this, when we were wrapping it up, the conversation that we had was, again, I riffed a little bit because I was so into the moment, because I still am as I'm speaking to you now. This vineyard and what Brene's doing is just, is great. She says to me, I do better with questions. And then at that point I realized, oh man, I haven't really been asking a lot of questions because I was just listening to her talk and really everything she was saying was, well, listen, here, here let's listen to this. I do better with questions, so I can keep going. No, this has been great. I mean, honestly, it's great because, I mean, getting to know, this is just basically, get, I mean, the, the things about the Alicante Boucher and the burger and the and the people and building it up. And I, I find this is a, and really what I'm trying to do, because I'm, I'm obsessed currently right now. I had, an, I had a, an Italian restaurant for 10 years, so I was a European guy for a long time. I had a wine shop as well, and I had wines from all over the world in my wine shop, but being an having an Italian restaurant for 10 years you're really kind of stuck in like the Sangiovese mindset right so it was in 2019 that I went to Paso Robles for the first time and I fell in love with what was happening there and I was like wait a second American wine is awesome and there's a history here and we should probably be talking about it and 
I did an episode on uh, Sonoma, just, you know, again, to break it all down in Napa. Like, here's the sub-AVAs of Napa, and here are the 18 AVAs of Sonoma, just so the listener understands it. But because of my obsession now with the history of American wine, this is just what everything you've been saying is basically what I wanted to hear. Is like, this, I just dig that this is part, the new, it's like the new chapter of the history of this area, is maintaining a large, revered, celebrated vineyard to be taken care of, to be brought to the next level. And what's really awesome about it as well is the fact that we still are a young country and even younger wine industry, that you, what you're doing here is something that some people may think like people have been doing for generations, but no, you came here and you, you brought this back to a certain level and now you have 34 to 45 people that want to be part of this. And you're kind of, I feel like it's creating something that the old world once knew and you're, we're, we're, we now have this place, this revered, beautiful place, and the soil's been realized, and the climate has been realized, and people want to be a part of this. And then it's going to go off into labels, into distribution, and say the things that, you know, it's a, I think it's a legacy. It's an American legacy thing that's happening here, and what you're doing is just kind of maintaining the, like, bringing it into a new chapter of history. I think it's just very cool. And that's why I just wanted you to talk. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have the questions that I, I don't even know what questions I have because I just wanted to kind of hear about the place and hear about everything and everything. It's, it's, it's basically just, it's awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Monterosa has been way well known prior to me being here and sure, certainly of course, Gallo of course. owning it, but I think that's what you kind of harness. And so we've joined the Sonoma Valley Vintners and Growers Alliance. Now we're part of Moon Mountain District, but mm-hmm. When you think of vineyards like Monterosso and when you think of Sonoma County, there are many Grand Crus that people know about, but you don't really know That's, them. I didn't and say so, the Grand Cru. I was going to go there. I'm going there because I'll go there, we go definitely there. are. I love it. And so <laughs> I'm going to go there because like, yes. when you hear Monterosso, everybody's head perks up and goes, right. oh, yeah. what? Okay. Yeah. So like... If you can really leverage Monterosso, then like all all boats in the tide are going to rise. Right, exactly. Because my thought is, we've always Sonoma County is kind of like we have so much diversity. It works for us and it works against us. But when a consumer is coming to Sonoma County, you're not geared towards one area. You're kind of like, all right, right, I can't hit Alexander Valley and Sonoma Valley in the same street. I can't go to Russian River. And out here, like, so Petaluma Gap was like, so like, where the hell am I going? And whereas Napa, you're getting cab. Like, you're going to try some really oddball stuff, but you're going, you're getting cab. We're farming on such a level that we need to elevate that. And Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you make somebody going to Sonoma County kind of beeline to an area? So I know that we're doing that with Moon Mountain District, but across the board, Mm -hmm. how do you do that for Sonoma County? And Monterosso is one of the most well-known. So I think you just, you start to really elevate Monterosso. So that was another goal with having the who's who making Monterosso wines. Because we have, uh, you know, bigger companies making Monterosso wine. But then we especially have a lot of smaller, unique, niche wineries making it. So if Monterosso is in your portfolio, now there's visibility to everybody. And my, my really big grower day is actually on the 24th where I have all the buyers in the room and they're all bringing library wines and Mm -hmm. it's going to be a fest, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I want them to try all these new wines that are coming off the property. I'm Mm going to be having a presentation talking about 
A, making sure everybody's got the language around Monterosso, right? I've seen a awesome. lot of numbers out there. And I'm like, let's all get, you know, put so together. Good. But we have so many new people and so many old people. You know, I want to know what price point's working, what method of distribution's working, what right. story are you telling that people are, right. you know, you're able to do futures on the wine. Right. What are you doing that's going to make these other people successful? And then who, two or three people in here, will you point your consumer to when you're sold out? What's what are you doing that's making a difference to the consumer? Because people buying Monterosa wine, regardless of the producer, have a disposable income that's only grown through the pandemic. Yes, absolutely. so the people that we're marketing to are not people that are going to shy away from drinking a hundred plus dollar bottle of wine no. on Tuesday with some pizza. Of course. So the people buying this wine know the stories and feel not just related to the vineyard, but to the producer as well. Right. So we really need to amplify that. But being able to have Monterosso on 80% of my buyers means anybody looking for Monterosso is going to be introduced to many more people across Sonoma and Napa County. And I need to make sure that the best people are making the vineyard be represented in its best life. And now there are so many different profiles and aspects of Monterey. So you don't have to expect this very huge jammy fruit bomb. The thing, right. 16% alcohol. There's a lot of 14s coming out. Scribe actually made a super cool one that's going to be bottled on March 28th. Awesome. Um, can't wait for that one to be released. Brown Estates Zinfandel uh, had a lot of people crying, myself included. Cool. So, like, there are just <laughs> a lot of really cool wines. And then even last Tuesday, like, there's just some cool things coming. So, like, if I can utilize Monterosso to be a vehicle for people to understand why they need to be coming here, then mm. I'm going to do that. And it, it works for everybody, myself that's, included. That's... So. That's a very cool place, and I, yeah. I'm super fortunate that Gallo will give me ears when I'm thinking of my crazy plans, because I'm sitting here like a mouthpiece, like, well, <laughs> I'm on Monterosso. Let's <laughs> leverage that. Right. And so uh, the value add back to us has been huge, and I'm glad that they've given me the leeway to, to run. And so Monterosso is a very special place. We've gotten it to a very meticulous point, and yeah. we keep pushing it, because it would be really easy to get comfortable on a vineyard you know is going to do well. So how do we keep yeah. pushing it? How do we yeah. keep elevating it? That's awesome. So there you have it, guys. A nice inside look at one of the most famous vineyards in Sonoma, which is actually one of the most famous vineyards in America. It's kind of our crew vineyard. There's a lot going on there. Go to Sonoma, guys. It's awesome. Fine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Jay Vineyards and Winery, makers of small batch, single varietal wines and acclaimed sparkling wine using the traditional method, meaning Jay makes sparkling wine by hand. 
Jay makes a portfolio of bubblies ranging from vibrant and crisp to creamy and graceful. And if you're not feeling bubbly, Jay Vineyard's still wine is equally sublime. To fully experience Jay wine paired with curated cuisine, visit Jay Vineyard's and Winery Tasting Room in Sonoma County. Or head to thebarrelroom.com and search Jay Vineyard's to get a bottle shipped today. Where shipping's available.